If you could please turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 13. We're starting a new sermon series today, Exodus, Knowing God in the Desert. So I would invite all of you here and those on the live stream to turn in your Bible. I know we all have Bible apps, but I would just say if you find yourself prone to uh, distraction from using your phone, I would encourage you to grab a physical Bible. If you're here in the sanctuary, it's page 55 in the Pew Bible, if you would like to look there. But we're starting a new series where we are going to study who God reveals himself to be, not as he brings the plagues and brings his people out of Egypt, as important as those lessons are. And perhaps there will be a day where we'll go through the whole book. But we're going to study who God reveals himself to be in the desert. Because as much as we love paradise, as much as we love it when things are good, the reality is we usually grow in the wilderness. That's when we usually come to know God more, to walk with him in a deeper way. It's in the desert, which is what we are going to study now for the next 10 or 11 weeks. And I think if we're honest, most of us, when we're going through a hard thing, we think to ourselves, God, why? Why? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why has, have things transpired like this? They weren't supposed to go this way. And so often the question behind that question, if you're really honest with yourself, is God, where are you? Are you with me in this? Are you present in this? Today, our focus is the God who is present. Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22. This is the word of God. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we need your grace. We need your mercy. We need you to show us that you are the God who is always present with us. Lord, if we can grasp this truth it can change not only just one thing in our life, not one day, not one worship service, not one area, 
but every part of our lives if we would see that you are always present with your people. So we pray, Holy Spirit, now that you would be our teacher and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Three points this morning. The short way or the circuitous way. The old Moses or the new. And sometimes or always. I will also focus on a different member of the Trinity in each point. So you could say the three points are also Father, Son, and Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The short way or the circuitous way, the old Moses or the new or sometimes or always. First of all, the short way or the circuitous way. That is a fun-sounding word that means not the best way to get there. Okay? We're getting ready to go on vacation. We leave tomorrow, actually. We're going to head down to Florida. It would make no sense for us to drive up to North Carolina, then cut across and head west, then bend around and go back through Alabama to get to Florida. That would make no sense. That would be a circuitous, a long way. So often, though, unlike what our phones tell us, unlike what our GPS tells us, God seems to lead his people on a way that is not the short way, but it's the best way because it's his way. It's the best way because it's his way. And from our vantage point, all it looks to be is circuitous and unnecessary and, and a pain. And God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go this way. And yet God has his purposes. We're going to put two pictures on the screen. The first is a way uh, that was called in the ancient times the Via Maris. The Via Maris. This was a well-worn path that people would take from the land of Egypt up to the area that we now call Palestine. Of course, if you've, I've been to Cairo within the last few years. Cairo is just a little bit south of the, the Mediterranean Sea. You would just go north. You would, you would go along the Mediterranean. It would be the quickest way. It was already an established trade route. That was the way that God's people should have taken that was what the GPS Siri would have said. Take the Via Maris Moses. That's what Siri would have said. But what did God say? Let's look at the next map. This is the way the Israelites actually took. This is a satellite image, by the way. That's why the earth is kind of curved like that. They went down the Sinai Peninsula, even all the way to the bottom. And then they go back up. And they finally get to Palestine. I have to admit, I don't know how many of you, I'm someone who does not have a great sense of direction. I will admit that. But even with my sense of direction, I would have done better than this. This is what you call a circuitous, unnecessary, long journey. God, why are you doing this? Why'd you do it for the Israelites, your people? And why do you often do it in my life, in the things that I'm going through, why do you so often take me on the circuitous path? One of my heroes is John Newton. Hopefully all of you know that name. He's most famous for writing the hymn Amazing Grace, which is really incredible that that hymn has stood the test of time in a way that probably no hymn that's ever been written has, and it seems to be remaining so. John Newton was a slave trader. He really had marked off every sin in the book. He'd really, he really had a check mark next to every one of them. 
and he was miserable. Even when he finally got to the rank on the ship that he wanted, he finally got to be a captain of a slave ship. He was miserable. He was lost in his sin. And God radically saved him, radically broke him of his sin, showed him the evils of the slave trade. He repented of that, and he became a pastor. And he wrote Amazing Grace, and he also wrote some really wonderful letters to congregants. You know, pastors used to, before phones and so forth, pastors, people would write to their pastor, say, would you, would you tell me what to do in this situation? And, and he, someone wrote to John Newton, John, Pastor John, I don't understand why God is having me go through these things. I don't understand why I'm struggling with these things in my life. What pastoral wisdom can you give me? And John Newton in a letter dated 1775, wrote these words. He says to this dear congregant, to those who seek God, his sovereignty is exercised in a way of grace. All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sins. Now listen to this. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Everything is needful that he sends. If he sends it to you, it's needful. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. And then he gives this incredible pastoral wisdom to this person. He says, fight against every thought that would represent it as desirable to be permitted to choose for yourself. And when you cannot see your way, be satisfied that he is your leader. This is what Newton is saying to this congregant. He's saying you have to fight to resist the urge to say to God, God, I want to choose the path. I want the short path. That is what's best for me. That is the quickest way for me to get from point A to point B in my life. That is the quickest way for me to, to honor you, Lord, with this thing that I want to do. Why would you not let me have it? And Newton says, in this beautiful re-summary of Romans 8.28, everything is needful that he sins. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. And so we must fight we must fight the desire to want to choose it for ourselves. Now, why does God take his people on the circuitous path? I mean, why would God? I mean, come on, God, look at the, the gas mileage your people used. I mean, they went down. It took them 40 years. They go down to the Sinai, Sinai Peninsula. They go all the way up. Why would you do this, Lord? Here's one of the answers. It's probably not the only answer, but it's one of them. Is that God is always accomplishing many things at once. God is the ultimate multitasker. Have you read the studies that show that so often when we multitask, we don't do it well? Okay, so you're in a meeting. It's not the most exciting meeting you've ever attended in your life. So you're tempted to get out your phone. You're tempted to check your emails. But actually, the studies seem to show that we actually do both things worse when we do that. Multitasking really doesn't work well for us. We seem to do our best when we just bear down and we just knock out one thing at a time and then go to the next thing. But not so with God. God is the ultimate multitasker. He's able to do multiple things at once. 
And that applies to his people. And that applies to you. And that applies to me. Let me just point out what God is accomplishing by taking his people on a circuitous route to the promised land. He is fulfilling his covenant promises to the patriarchs, including Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. Joseph's faith, where Joseph believed that God would carry out his his people from that land, is being fulfilled here. God is making good on his promises. That's one thing God is doing. Here's another thing God is doing. He's refining his people. You see, what his people want is, Lord, that was really hard. We just went through 10 plagues. There was the curse of the firstborn. We just went through all of that. We just dealt with the worst, most oppressive leader on the planet, Pharaoh. We are ready for the easy stuff now. And God says, hold on. I'm not done refining you yet. I'm not done shaping you yet. In fact, we're just getting started. Because my goal for you is to change you into a glorious people that reflect my son Jesus. He is also bringing judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Would Pharaoh and the Egyptians chase his people if they had taken the direct route? We don't know. But we do know that they chase God's people when they find out they're seemingly lost and they're headed south. God does many things at once. And we need to remember this, that when we face hardships, we don't see all that God is doing, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of others around us that are impacted by us. Because we all live in a web of relationships and we want to think that it's just about me, but it's not just about me. Everything I do impacts other people and everything you do impacts other people. And so God accomplishes many things And so what does faith mean? It means a confident acceptance of God's will. It doesn't mean a reluctant acceptance. You know, there's a kind of acceptance that's a reluctant acceptance. It's kind of like when a kid says to a parent, you know, like, fine, you won't let me have this. Well, you're the boss, but I don't like it. And I wonder, friends, and I point to myself, How often we can say to God, okay, fine, you're God, I get that, I don't think I'm God. I'll give it a reluctant acceptance instead of a confident, trustful acceptance that, Lord, you really do know best. And the place that that battle is fought is in prayer. That's what Newton said. You got to fight for it in prayer. You got to fight against the desire to want to control for yourself. Secondly, the new, the old Moses or the new. The old Moses or the new. We see a faithful Moses here in our passage. He's guiding his people. He's leading the people of God. Even when God says, I'm going to take you on a different route, he says, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he leads the people of Israel out. And we also see a faithful Joseph. Because before Joseph dies, he says, to God's people. God is going to bring us out of this land. So we see two of God's leaders who are obedient to him, but they're not perfect. And, you know, I think sometimes we 
think to ourselves, wouldn't that be amazing if we had been living in this generation and we had gotten to see all of these things, we had gotten to see the plagues and the miracles and the pillars of cloud and the pillars by fire, but actually we have a new and a better Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Christ, the new Moses, that we, the church, who are the new Israel, gain entrance into heaven, which is the new promised land. The author of Hebrews says this. Do you know this? Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. You see, we have a better leader. We have one who's already led us to the promised land. And as we struggle in this life with different challenges and things we face in our sin, we have to look at the Lord Jesus Christ every day. The new Moses. And to say, Jesus, you've already done it. You've already led your people out of Exodus. You've led us out of out of oppression, you've conquered our enemies, you've put our feet on the high places to dwell with you, you've already defeated our enemies. We have to go to our new Moses, our new and better Moses, every single day. Jesus, you've done it. I'm going to live in light of that. I'm going to live in light of your power. I'm going to live in light of your presence because you are the new and better Moses. There's a song we've started to sing here, Christ the True and Better. Talks about, this is the line, this is the chorus about Moses. Christ the True and Better Moses, called to lead a people home, standing bold to earthly powers, God's great glory to be known, with his arms stretched wide to heaven. See the waters part in two, see the veil is torn forever, cleansed with blood we pass now through. Amen, amen, from beginning to end. Christ the story, his the glory. Alleluia, amen. We've got a better Moses. We've got a new and better Moses. As great as he was, as great as what he did was, we have the realization, we have the promises, we have the fulfillment, it's Christ, and we have to look to our better Moses every single day. Because we don't look back to the old Moses for our strength. Again, though he was a godly man who God used, but we look to the new Moses, the one who has gained entrance for us into the promised land, the one who's already blazed the trail for us and shown us the way. Lastly, sometimes or always. You know, I'm convinced that one of the challenges we have in our Christian life is that we think that God is with us sometimes, but not all the time. And, and, or, or maybe we could say it like this. I, I really feel his presence sometimes, 
There's the seasons, whether that's a, a period of my life where I feel like I'm in the mountaintop or I feel like my walk with God is really strong. And then the other times, I don't know. God, are you there? Are you, are you really always present with me? You know, this is remarkable that in the passage we read that God shows up in an incredible way. And if we're honest, this is amazing. It's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if we could see that, if we had at Northeast Presbyterian Church a pillar of cloud over the church by day and a pillar of fire by night, we'd think that would be pretty cool, wouldn't we? Yeah, we'd like that. That'd be pretty amazing. Look at, look at what we've got. Look at, the, look at the presence of God. And there's no doubt it's a miracle. There are some scholars who, with torturous logic, try to make this a natural event. There's no natural event here. This is a miracle. God showing up with power in a cloud by the day and fire at night, and it stays for 40 years. That's a miracle. It's a 40-year miracle. And it's the presence of God. But as cool as that would be, and it would be amazing, and we would be in awe, and here's what's remarkable. We actually have something better. We have something better right here, right now, as believers living in Northeast Columbia in the year 2022, we have something better than they had. Listen to this quote by Pastor Phil Riken. Actually, he's the president of Wheaton now. He was a pastor before this. Listen to this quote by Philip Riken. He says, sometimes we wish that God would give us the same kind of guidance today that he gave his people in Exodus 13. If only a bright cloud would lead us directly to the school we should attend, the job we should take, or the person we should marry. Yet the truth is that God gives us all the divine guidance we need, and in a much better form. He has given us the fire of his spirit. And now we have his glorious presence with us all day and all night. It is as if a column of cloud and the pillar of fire have come right inside of us. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit lives with you and will be in you. John 14, 17. And now by the power of his presence, God is always with us to guide us. Here's our question for today. Do we really believe that God is with us every moment of the way? Do we really believe that his presence is more real and powerful than the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, as amazing as those things were? John Calvin says, he says, the cloud in the, in the pillar of fire, he says, in a way, that's a kind of sacramental mode of speaking, wherein God transfers his name to visible things, not to affix to them his essence or to circumscribe his infinity, but that the exhibition of the things signified is at the same time joined with them. This is what he means. God does not literally transform into a cloud. God did not literally say, I'm going to make my essence a cloud during the day, and I'm going to make my essence a pillar of fire by night. No, it's a sacramental mode. God's presence filled those things. But we have something better. We have the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
And the goodness and love of our Savior is such that he would give us the very third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to fill us to the brim, to fill us to overflowing. You see, God has always been with his people. He's always been with his people. Do a study of the scriptures. There's Adam and Eve. They're walking in the garden. Oh, there's God too. He's walking with them. There's Abraham making a covenant with God in Genesis 15. There's God too in the form of a smoking fire pot and a torch. There's Jacob. Oh, and he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. That's God in Genesis 15, the appearance of God. There's Moses in Exodus 3. Oh, there's God in the form of a burning bush. Here's God in Exodus 13, and God is leading his people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Here's God leading his people as his presence is manifested through the Ark of the Covenant, and then the tabernacle, and then the temple. You see, God has always been with his people. His presence has always been with us, and it all reaches a fulfillment in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says, his radiant, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. You see, Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the presence of God come in the flesh. All of these other things, as great as they were, they don't hold a candle to Jesus, God Himself in the flesh. And our very same Lord Jesus sends the Holy Spirit upon His church. And he says, in maybe the most neglected clause of the Great Commission, because we know the Great Commission, and we know the Great Commission says, go into all the earth, tell them about the Lord Jesus. It says this, I'll read it. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And then it's this last clause that's so easy to forget about. The last clause of the Great Commission. And surely, you know it, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus said he would be with us always. He told us he would give us his spirit. We have all that we need, church. All that we need to go and to live lives that reach other people for Christ, that tell other people the good news of the gospel like Africa Freedom Mission is doing and like so many other missionaries, organizations, churches are doing. We have it. It's the Holy Spirit. And the, the scriptures tell us to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. See, God is always with us. One of my favorite musical artists is a guy named John Mark McMillan. Instead of calling him a Christian musician, I'd call him a musician who's a Christian. His songs are really interesting. They're fascinating. He has a song that has these words. To cross your seas, I've pushed against your waves. What for all the miles have you to say? Were you there beside me this whole way? And, the, and he's talking to God. The answer is yes. God has been there beside his people the entire way, church. He's with you right now. He's with us right now in this room. 
and with his spirit. As we go and we face this world with all of its temptations and its struggles and the things that you are personally dealing with today that God brought you into this room for or he brought you on the live stream for, God says, my presence is with you, child. Embrace my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in faith. Surrender to him and you will be given my spirit, my very presence, which will be with you always until the end of the age until I come back again and take my people home. Let us pray. Lord God, we love and praise your holy name. On this Pentecost Sunday, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you, O oh God, the one that searches hearts, knows what every person listening to these words needs to hear from you right now. I pray that your spirit would lead them into all truth and point us to the beauty and love and glory of our Lord Jesus.